You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey coming to you from Santa Barbara, California. Today, I am going to first start by directing your attention to wealthformula.com. This is a website with tremendous number of resources for you um, that are, frankly, free, including a best-selling Amazon book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which is sort of the investing 101, if you will. Uh, It's pretty basic, but it's a good introduction for people who are interested. You can also get that by texting 44222 and simply typing in wealth formula, one word. And uh, I also want to draw your attention to uh, the uh, Wealth Formula Accredited Investor Group because this is a uh, group that really, you know, we talk about a lot of principles and concepts within this group, but the action, the real magic happens when you can actually do some of these things in real in the real world, uh, rather than just, you know, theorize about them. And if you are an accredited investor, you can join that group, uh, the Investor Club, at uh, wealthformula.com. Just go ahead and uh, click on Investor Club. Of course, an accredited investor is something that you either are or you are not. It is not something that you apply for. It just... Uh, means that you make $200,000 per year, $300,000 if filing jointly for the last two years, uh, and or you have a net worth of a million dollars outside of your personal residence. If this sounds like you, there is no reason why you should not be in Investor Club because it's another entire layer of education on top of potential deal flow as well. So uh, anyway, uh, as for today, I want to talk, um, you know, you know, I've talked about the investor club. That's different from our private community, which is called Wealth Formula uh, Network. Um, Wealth Formula Network is a group, basically, it starts out with a course, and then we go into this um, bi-weekly Zoom video call thing and stuff like that. It's just a community, right? Uh, and these calls are a lot of fun for people like me who like to geek out on money stuff. Um, and if you are, you know, the only one in your social network, uh, who likes this topic, uh, well, formula network is a great way to get your fix through an online community instead. Now on our most recent call, someone brought up uh, a fund and wanted to know what the group's thoughts on it were. And this is a typical thing that's done in that group, right? We, we try to do collective learning, collective intelligence to break things down and find out if, you know, things are legit, they're not legit, you know, thinking out loud for others, a lot of sophisticated investors, some are beginning who are getting more and more sophisticated. Anyway, we took this opportunity and we broke it down literally sort of line by line in the description and realized that in reality, there was really nothing at all appealing about the opportunity. Nothing, nothing appealing. So what was it about this particular deal that attracted uh, attention to it in the first place that made it become a topic of conversation? Well, as it turned out, it was actually packaged well. And, uh, you know, it was presented in a way that on the surface made a whole lot of sense, right? 
And, um, you know, you see a lot of this in the podcast ecosystem because in reality, there are a lot of very, very good marketers. And I'm not talking about the podcasters themselves, but people who who basically leverage the podcaster influence um, and, 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 and kind of edge their way in. You know, these marketers, uh, they may or may not be good operators. They may or may not have a good product, but they do understand that the podcast uh, space creates a world that can really immediately uh, create a sense of legitimacy for them through brand association, even if you know they have never uh, they've they've never um, been exposed to those people or those groups before. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, let's say you have a podcast that you really like. Say it's my podcast, who knows, or somebody else's podcast, and you feel like you really trust the host. You know, you think he's a good guy. You think um, he knows what he's talking about. And all of a sudden you hear uh, him interview someone or you're a commercial on that podcast. Um, when you do, When you do that, and I've been in that situation too as a listener, it sort of immediately legitimizes the interviewee as someone who you can actually trust. Now, is that true? No, it's not really true. And I learned that the hard way as a podcaster because early on, you know, if you go back to my earlier podcasts, I mean, I'm interviewing people about, you know, junk, right? But they're interesting ideas or concepts, you know, they're concepts of different things that you can invest in. But the reality is that some of those things that I talked about very early on and interviewed people on where people are raising uh, money for, I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole, okay? And I... Uh, soon realized that I had essentially inadvertently legitimized these opportunities uh, by having someone explain them on my show, and that may have given listeners a false sense that I was actually somehow advocating for them or believed in them or anyway. So now I am very careful about who I interview um, and also give you know lots of frequent disclaimers when someone is raising money. Okay, now. If there's a commercial on my show, understand that it's probably some kind of, um, you know, uh, well, you know, except for Wealth Formula Banking and Velocity Plus and all that stuff, because those are partnerships that I have with those guys that I can truly stand behind those things. But, you know, if it's third party stuff um, and it's a company that's not associated with Wealth Formula, I, you know, I'm not going to knowingly put something out there that is fraudulent but or whatever, but you've got to do your own research, folks, right? These are commercials. These are sponsorships, so it's up to you. Anyway, the point I'm making here is that it's critically important to use the information that you're learning and pick these deals apart. Um, you've got to do that. So when you do, when you do that, um, rationally with an objective stance, the negative elements of an offering are usually, you know, frankly, pretty glaring. And it helps to do this exercise if you have a group, a mastermind or something like that where you can run things through. And I know that, you, you know, you, you may have that. I know a number of people in the uh, Wealth Formula ecosystem do that already. And if you do it over and over, I promise you will get better at it and, you know, uh, you'll get a, really good at identifying bad deals or things that you shouldn't even think about. You know, we do this all the time in Wealth Formula Network, um, where several of the real, uh, you know, real investors of Wealth Formula Nation uh, share their experience. Um, I should point out if you're interested in Wealth Formula Network, go to wealthformularoadmap.com 
Um, there's like a kind of a silly infomercial type ad there, but at the end of the day, it's a course and uh, uh, it's a community. One of those uh, group members is investor Dr. Ian Kurth, and uh, Ian is a uh, neuroradiologist uh, and has become a really a real leader in our group. He is smart as a whip, works diligently at mastering personal finance concepts. Uh, and I think, really, I do believe that for high-paid professionals who are, you know, they're making a really good, you know, W-2 money and they're trying to break into this sort of, quote-unquote, alternative world, there really is no better role model uh, than Ian uh, because he has really shown how it can be done um, and uh, is, is sort of living proof that you don't have to become an entrepreneur in order to live this uh, four-quadrant, um, make this quadrant shift. Um, and frankly, that is the reason why I finally uh, invited Ian on the show, and he is our guest today on Wealth Formula Podcast. So when we come back, Dr. Ian Kurth, don't miss it. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is the poster child of successful high-paid professionals taking ownership of their personal financial situation. His name is Dr. Ian Kurth. He is a neuroradiologist, and he is also a member of our private community, Wealth Formula Network. Uh, he's an active participant there and uh, in Investor Club and Physicians Wealth Formula. He is, uh, he's all over the place. Anyway, Ian, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you, Buck. Appreciate it. Um, so I want to just start out because, you know, obviously we, we, we've done this kind of show once before. We did it with Jerry uh, and, uh, you know, was all, AKA the mascot um, and, and his, uh, but, but your story is a little bit different. And, and I think it, there, there represents probably a lot of individuals who listen to our show. Not that Jerry didn't, but this is a slightly different one in that you are a doctor. So tell us, tell us just so that we have an idea who you are. Where, where'd you grow up? You know, what was it like? Why'd you become a doctor, et cetera? Sure. Um, so I uh, grew up in a middle-class family of five. I had two brothers, grew up in Michigan. Um, we were, my brothers and I were pretty athletic. We were involved in, um, you know, all kinds of ball sports, ended up playing soccer, being pretty proficient at that, followed that through college. Um, and uh, my mom was a school teacher. Uh, my dad was in real estate. Um, he was in many uh, areas of real estate from being an agent to a broker to a developer in shopping malls and multifamilies to uh, a landlord with some family houses. And, um, you know, with specific sort of attention to the, the subject matter of this show, um, I, in reflecting back, my dinner table conversations uh, had a lot of um, words that I didn't have any context for at the time, but in reflecting back, they were, um, uh, they, they, they were common. So things like um, leases and taxes and sued and attorneys and yeah, assessment yeah. and all of those yeah. things. Like I, I just associated them with what my dad did and, and, um, and I didn't really have a great context for just that association. The other thing that, you know, um, in growing up, we were, he was, he was an active real estate investor. So he believed in being very involved with 
um, with his, his properties. Um, he believed in sweat equity. He didn't like to do things on his own. And so sure. what that meant for me as a kid and maybe yourself as well as we were, I was dragged to, to construction sites. I was sweeping up after the cruise for the day. My, my, my pirate's loot was to be able to take the, the Mountain Dew bottles that they left and, and bring those in for deposit. Um, you know, I was tasked with helping put concrete down and drywall and painting and, and realized that I wasn't good at any of that <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't like it. Um, I, I, I knew the association that real estate could, um, could provide, you know, it provided a, you know, a, a nice, um, existence for our family, but, um, I wasn't that interested in, yeah. in, the active portion. Of so it. actually and that's kind of, very familiar to, you know, my, <laughs> my story, I, you know, you, you probably know a little bit about it, but my dad, uh, to this day, uh, primarily, I mean, he's 80, I think he's almost 81, I guess. Um, but he's, um, <clears throat> you know, he is like, uh, you know, apartment building or, you know, small, uh, small apartment building kind of a guy, maybe some mixed commercial use, but he is very, very much hands-on. And, you know, he did a lot of, uh, he's very scrappy. And when I was a kid, he used to do a lot of like lower income stuff. And, um, so, you know, and he rented his own places. And so I remember my childhood being like the phone ringing and it was like tenants. It was like mm -hmm. ringing, ringing off the hook. And there was like <laughs> swearing going on and stuff like that. I mean, it was like, I mean, I'm not even joking. I was like embarrassed to bring friends home because of, of the conversations and the yelling and screaming. Um, it yeah. was that kind of like tenant and... <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I had the same experience. Like, you know, the phone would not stop ringing. Right. Oh, actually, it would, wouldn't ring during the day. And then, right. you know, come dinner time, it would, it would ring off the hook. And yeah. same, same experience. Yeah. You know? So, so then, <laughs> of course, in my experience, uh, you know, because I was just about, about to ask you, you know, why you became a doctor. But for me, part of it was a, an a absolute repulsiveness. <laughs> you know, I was just repulsed by everything I saw as a child. And I'm like, you know what? I want nothing nothing to do with real estate. And, um, I'm going to do something, you know, that I'm like, uh, you know, that, that is as far away as possible and, and ultimately, um, landed, uh, into becoming a physician. Now, how about you? Why, why did you, why did you become a doctor? Similarly? I mean, um, I, I, if, if I have sort of, a, a superpower. It's, it's that I can see sort of associations in, in people and personalities and so forth. And I had aspirations to, to live a good life. Um, you know, I wanted to, to make some money. I wanted to be able to take vacations and to, to do the things that I wanted to do. But as I said, like I, I, I knew my skill set wasn't aligned yeah. with that. So what else? Well, you know, the guys on my soccer team that had parents who were physicians, they seemed to drive nice cars, they <laughs> right, right, good, right. good yeah. houses. And, you know, that seemed like a logical progression. And, and, and as I looked into it, you know, frankly, um, the, the grind of the, of the path um, aligned with my character. So, yeah. um, you know, I was, I, I could, I, I can outwork most people. Um, yeah, I, sure, sure. I, I'm, I, I have dis discipline, I have perseverance and those attributes, um, you know, serve well, the aspiring physician when you're going, when you're jumping into hoop after hoop after hoop. Um, I had to learn that path on my own though. I was, you know, the first person in our family to become a physician and, and, um, and, you know, some other business owners in our family kind of look at me like, really, that's what you're going to want to do. But, 
but um, ultimately um, I figured it out. I, I um, um, you know, uh, jumped through all the required hoops yeah, and, yeah. and uh, became a physician. Um, so, so people actually were trying to sort of talk you out of it. Not necessarily talk me out of it, but I, I do recall a very vivid uh, conversation w- when I knew that I got into med school. One of my um, uh, co-captain's dad, who is an oral surgeon, he's like, I'll see you in a decade. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and it, it, it's true. Like I, I, I talk to my wife about this frequently. I, I can't remember my twenties that well. Like oh, my twenties no, were spent no. in white walled, yep. you know, hospitals just grinding. And, um, you know, there, there, there are life events that happen that I look at pictures where I was involved. I, I can't really remember it very well. Yep. Um, and, and he was right. I mean, you, you, it's a tremendous sacrifice, a tremendous amount of work that is required on that path. And, um, being the first through, I didn't really know enough. Well, you know, know. (laughs) so many things that you're talking about just ring true for me too, again, because it's like, all right, well, what, you know, for me, you know, there was always this idea of the doctor thing in the back of my head, but you know, on the other hand, um, you know, I, uh, my, my brother was supposed to be the one who was good at science and math. And, you know, I, I didn't want to compete with him. And then when he decided he didn't want to be a doctor, somehow I ended up doing it. But, you know, it's so hard when you're a young kid and, you know, you're pretty good at school, you're good at other stuff, you know, like it's, it's amazing how quickly in, in some respects you have to make that decision. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I totally hear you also about like forgetting or just, not remembering your 20s. I mean, that is absolutely me. Um, as a surgical person, it's just, uh, I look back and that's one of the real, especially for a guy who doesn't practice anymore, <laughs> to give up his 20s uh, and look back and say, well, gosh, you know, was it worth it? But uh, yeah, it is a tremendous sacrifice. So, okay. So during this period of time though, I mean, growing up middle, uh, middle class, maybe upper middle class, you know, not really wanting for anything per se, but you know, not being rich, being a kid, did you even think about money? I mean, did you think, was it, was it a, a um, you know, I know you kind of uh, alluded to the fact that, you know, you thought maybe a doctor would be, uh, you know, you'd, you'd be comfortable, but did you really think about money? Um, I, I did, I did. Um, and, but, but I, it was all the abstract. Mm-hmm. It was, um, I, n- I never really at the time I, it was just sort of, um, again, associations. I, I associated a certain profession or a certain status or, um, with, with affluence, mm-hmm. um, certain associations. I, I didn't have any association. I didn't have an association with, with a, a, a large business owner who yeah. might be able to, to maybe advise, or I didn't know any movie stars. Um, so the, the local, the, the nucleus that I had access to the association that aligned with what my aspirations were in, in terms of that were, were physicians. Yeah. And so, right. They were sort of like the, the, um, this, the type of star that you could become. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Right. It was, right. it was achievable and it was achievable because it was a, a, a reasonably predictable path. And the thing that you needed to be okay with was you were going to, you were going to sacrifice and keep your head down and, and grind. The funny thing is, you know, and I think about back in those days, um, one other thing I want to mention is that, you know, I, my dad didn't even, my dad didn't want me to be a doctor. He thought it was <laughs> ludicrous. 
he he was in real estate and he was doing well. And he told me, you do realize I make more money than all the doctors. And I said, yeah. And, and he said, well, so do you want to be a doctor or do you want to make money? And I just thought he was full of it. And I was like, you just don't understand. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm like highly evolved than you, dad. You just don't get do you, it. Do you understand now? <laughs> now I understand. Now I understand. But, okay, but, uh, so, okay. So you've got, you know, you see these guys, but back then, again, now we're talking about, and you and I are around the same age. So we're watching people in the eighties and nineties. And I remember, uh, if you look back at those, uh, those guys back then, the surgeons and the, you know, the radiologists and stuff, they were making, they were making seven figures mm-hmm. back then. Right. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. seven figures in the eighties is like a million dollars in the eighties is like 3 million bucks today. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and, and, and yeah, and, and they had some tax benefits. and they had massive tax benefits because the Reagan uh, tax law that took away all these passive losses uh, were not, that was not in place. Right. So right. they were writing off all this income. They basically had tax free, like, you know, 3 million bucks a year in today's income. They were, you know, it was insane. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, times have changed. <laughs> a little <laughs> they have doctors make less um there's more work there's you know the tax loopholes are closed when did um when did you really start thinking about personal finance um personal finance probably i, I began to sort of recognize it probably late in in residency um, and the reason was before we, like early in residency, uh, my wife um, was, a, was an HR consultant. So she worked from home and we had dual income. We didn't have any kids. While I wasn't making a ton of money, um, you know, we could survive without, without an issue. We weren't like, we didn't have a ton of kids on a residence budget and my wife wasn't hurting. We were forced to sort of focus in on that. But then we had our first child and she stopped working. And I realized that in order to make this thing work for the last two years of training, I needed to moonlight a ton. That Where, was, were, you? That was, Where were you training? Uh, this is at Duke. So we were down okay. in Durham. Yeah. Got it, got it. And so, um, you, you know, you're working a ton, right. As a resident and a fellow anyways, and then mm-hmm. to pile on, you know, to one to two weekends a month of travel and additional work um, just to make ends meet. Because at the time, I didn't know that there was another way other than trading time for money. And that forced me to sort of, all right, at least think about our household budget. I got to make more than what we're spending. And um, But that was also um, tempered by the fact that I'm almost at the finish line. And once mm-hmm. I make it to the finish line, then there's this bounty that's that and now significantly I'm better. Not not what the old, yeah. not what they did in the '80s and '90s, but at least you'd you know you'd be in in, in much better shape. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, th- th- that's what I was counting on, and yeah. um, it you know it, it's true. Like, so when you start into practice, here's where I made some, in my estimation, some mistakes right off the bat. Like I fell victim to what. I think most people do when they're really on a tight budget and, you know, and now somebody says, okay, we're going to, we're going to quadruple 10 X, whatever your paycheck. 
for the same thing you've been doing essentially. And you're going to work less. You're going to make more. What do you do with that? Okay. Let's, let's live like we're supposed to live. Let's live Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, like that image that, that, made you go into medicine in the first place. Right. Or, or so right away of, you bought the big house, uh, get the nice car, you know, got some, totally. you're in Wisconsin, totally. so you get Packer seasons tickets. and <laughs> <laughs> You have to live like four generations to get Packer seasons. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. <laughs> no one did that. But, but you still uh, moved yeah, to Wisconsin though. So, I mean, that was pretty cost effective. So, yeah, so I did, like, there were a couple smart things that we did. One is, like, I really took my job search seriously. I knew certain things that I wanted. I wanted private practice. I wanted to have influence in my in the way that I practice. I wanted to have some influence into the to the operations of the practice. I wanted to, um, you know, um, leverage the area that we were um, decided to live in. So it's, we generally have better reimbursements, lower cost of living, um, you know, those kind of uh, parameters. And so I, I did my homework there and fortunate to have joined a, a, an outstanding practice. And, and it's the same practice that, that I work at today, but I did fall victim to, yeah, we bought, you know, the lake house, big house. And, and, uh, you know, I woke up about six months later into it. And I'm like, man, what did I do? Like here, what, like right. I'm, I, I got, I got an issue here. I got a problem and I need to solve it. And, um, and so I were you thinking about investing at this point or were you just in sort of spend mode and getting into golden handcuffs mode? Well, I didn't, I wasn't in total spend mode other than those big assets, but I realized that I had a, I quickly realized I had a debt problem. And so I, fortunately I recognized that I had a problem. And fortunately I have character attributes that I, like, you know, I'm hardwired to solve problems. So it, when, whenever people hear personal finance debt, who do you relate to? So I went down the Dave, Dave Ramsey road, right? So oh. I started the baby steps. Oh, so no. I started okay. slamming money at every debt. And, and in a year and a half, we like paid off our student loans, paid off our cars, paid off our house. We were like, we did a debt, debt free scream. Right. Okay. And that was, that was pretty cool. Um, and so that, you, that worked. Would you, would you have done that same thing now? Um, on the, on the personal finance side. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The house too. Yes. Okay. I would, I would. And I, I, we, we can have some, we can have some <laughs> we've had this conversation that. before. We, we can, yeah. but here's, here's what happened is that the Dave Ramsey, like first four steps or five steps or whatever, I think are very effective. I think they're, I think they're well-intended and it's a, it's a programmatic way to get yourself into a good, um, foundation mm-hmm. beyond that where, the advice is to pick mutual funds and, uh, you know, uh, you know, this is how you invest. I had so much success in the first part. I just mindlessly followed it through. And, um, so that's, that's so how then I started you were investing. Invest. So what did your investing look like? It was just that it was like, okay, uh, three index funds. It was small cap, large cap index, um, plow it into that. Um, our practice had, you know, some tax deferred, uh, 401ks and DB plans, like maximize that, you know, maximize your HSA, maximize your 529, um, get some additional money to invest, plow that into a, um, you know, portfolio of dividend stocks. That was it. It was like automated, take it out of my paycheck. I don't see it. You know, the conventional, the conventional sort of advice. Did your dad, did your dad ever say, Ian, what are you doing? Um, he didn't. He did. Well, but what he did, okay, he didn't 
he's he's more nuanced than that, fortunately. But um, <laughs> he uh, he encouraged me to um, co-invest with him mm-hmm. in um, some vacation rental um, development. And so while I was on this sort of mindless automated, um, I also um, was sort of led into real estate investing with him. And that was, was great. It was great. Um, you know, um, we, those have been very successful. I've learned a lot from those. Those have been very effective um, now. Um, and at the time, you know, our timing was really good. Uh, and, um, and that was, um, helpful to sort of at least lead me out of going all in with the conventions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, there's a couple things I think about too, like what makes, um, you know, what kind of leads you to where you are now. And for me, one of the, you know, one of the, I think really valuable things from having, um, my dad, uh, being a real estate guy. And even though I completely rejected it, was repulsed by it, et cetera. I also had this keen sense that what he was doing was working because in my case, you know, he did pretty well and, and I didn't pay for college and I didn't pay for med school. He paid for it. And I know, uh, uh, you know, I'm not, I'll say it out loud. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky he paid for that stuff. Um, and so if he did that, I'm thinking, well, you know, people saying that real estate is risky. Well, I, I don't know about that. The one time I saw him lose money, it was during the dot-com era. <laughs> um, so I was sort of primed for it. And for me, uh, it was a, you know, it was a truly uh, seminal moment after reading the Kiyosaki Cashflow Quadrant book um, shortly after getting married. And I completely was like, whoa. Uh, what is this whole, you know, idea behind sort of taking personal finance into your hands and cash flow and entrepreneurship and all these things that hit me like a bolt of lightning. And I could define that as a point that really changed the trajectory of my life. Did you have that kind of moment or was it all very gradual? Well, ironically, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in med school mm. and, um, and, and it, it, it struck a chord with me then, but I dismissed it because I couldn't see a path where I was in the path of becoming a physician, um, how I could um, do both, how I could be a business owner. Um, I, I was kind of, I was like, okay, this is, this is important stuff. This is relevant. I, um, I align myself with that sort of thinking and, and cash flow and um, uh, creating different streams of income. But the way that I'm going to get to ultimately the I quadrant, which is what I thought was sort of the, the um, you, you know, the ultimate destination was that I was going to be, I was going to join a practice and kind of be an SB type person mm-hmm. and then just pile cash into the I quadrant. Yeah. Um, I couldn't see a way to become, you know, a pure business owner as a physician. I didn't, I didn't have any sort of connection to that. So, um, but I've always thought about that all the way through and, you know, my path through, um, medical school and like, I'm nowhere near the smartest person. I'm, I'm not the, you know, I'm not the, whatever. I just worked my way through and I figured out, um, different interstitial, um, avenues where it was just a little bit atypical, you know, mm-hmm. like I didn't go to lectures. I went to coffee shops to study because it was more time effective and I could do it, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, 
I and, waited and so, for the transcripts every morning. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, like, well, why go take notes when somebody else is going to do it for you and, and read it twice as fast? Right. Uh, so, uh, I, yeah, totally, totally did that. And I was looking for ways to sort of um, unconventionally pack my way through. Um, and like that sort of approach and the quote unquote alternative investing approach that Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it aligned with sort of those tactics that I was already doing on a very, very small scale. Um, I just, the other thing with real estate is that my only exposure at that time was the active real estate side. And I couldn't see how I would be able to effectively do what my dad was doing as a full-time practicing physician. Um, I was completely aware that many, many, many people made money in real estate and many, many people who had money put money in real estate. <laughs> like yeah. the, that was very apparent and I knew that. So I knew like at some point I wanted to get uh, involved in real estate, but I didn't, um, the only sort of thing, like I talked about the, the, the lexicon at the, at the dinner table, I, 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 I recall silent partner. Like he's a silent partner in that. And I didn't know what that meant, but come to find out a quote unquote silent partner is a limited partner is a, is, is a person in a, in a syndication is a person who's investing money and get, goes mm-hmm. along for the ride. But I didn't know that there were uh, avenues like that available. Um, um, so, and, and I, so when does, when does this all turn? Like, you know, I, I mean, now, um, you know, when I know what I know of you is, um, and one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is I think I think of you as one of the more thoughtful, more sophisticated uh, individuals within West w- within our you know ecosystem, right? Um, mm-hmm. Within the uh, wealth formula uh, you know private community, and uh, somebody who's really thought about a lot of this different stuff, and who's really for the most part all in. Um, mm-hmm. But there had to have been some kind of moment where you're like, okay, I'm all in and I'm done with stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And I believe that I know what I'm doing and I can, you know, I can take personal finance issues into my own hands and make Mm -hmm. these decisions. And I have made a decision that hard assets are, um, are the way to go. Like, is there, I mean, was it a, yeah, yeah. It so happened. It happened happen? about happened about um, probably four four or so years ago, where it was April again, and every April up until that point, I was Texas. Nau- <laughs> nauseous. Taxes. I mean, that's what it did. Yeah. I was. I, yeah. I you know every year annually I would be nauseous looking at that bill and just thinking, man, there's got to be a better way. Yeah, well, it's a good problem to have is what I hear. You know, you're making a lot of money and it's a good problem to have. And so I would just shelve the problem till the next year. And, and, and you know, like I said, about four or five years ago, I just got disgusted. I'm like, okay, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a problem solver. I'm going to solve this problem. And so I went into the deep dive and um, one thing led to another, um, you know, a lot of different topics within you know, sort of personal finance and business and, and asset protection and all of these things started weaving themselves together and, and the information that I learned in one thing led me down another route and all of that um, knowledge started to compound and when I actually took action on the things that I was learning, I realized that that action um, began to produce results that were not linear, they were compounding results. Mm-hmm. And um, when you see that play out in real time, that is enough motivation for me to continue. I'm, yeah. I'm curious how you found wealth formula. 
uh, part of that, um, I ne- yeah, I never asked d- part you. Of that, part, part of that deep dive, like yeah. I, you know, I, I became a, a podcast junkie, junkie. I would find, um, you know, a topic and I would like search every or a guest and I would listen to everything about that guest. I would find wherever they were. I would listen to a topic. I would listen to all podcasts that had that topic. And, um, you know, I stumbled upon you being interviewed by another person. I'm like, okay, this guy is my age is uh, a, f- a physician is, um, you know, Midwest, uh, you know, <laughs> right. dad had some real estate roots. Like, okay, yeah. like there's some commonality here. Uh, mm-hmm. let me, let me deep dive on this guy. And, um, so I listened to a few other, um, interviews that he had. I'm like, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, let me, let me follow up. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a niche, right? I mean, high paid professionals and we're not talking about jumping out of, you know, trying to escape the cubicles. We're talking about good problems to have, but, um, you know, uh, listen, here's the deal, right? I mean, one of the, one of the things that, um, people kind of talk about, they say is, well, you know, my situation right now, though, Buck, is different than you. And they're right. I mean, I, I'm like, you know, I'm not a practicing physician anymore. Um, I'm a business owner. Uh, I'm a real estate person. All these things that I have changed my facts, uh, as Tom Wheelwright would say, so, so that mm-hmm. it would affect my tax as well. And um, But you, you are doing something I think is really unique, which is kind of uh, kind of that you know, you're not changing your entire life. All you're doing is taking charge of something that a lot of people do not take charge of. And what that think is really interesting about that, because I think that for most people, for most people, for most professionals who are making, you know, uh, multiple six figures or seven figures or whatever, the answer is not to quit what you're doing and start something, uh, you know, start, over doing something else because you got inspired by it. That's usually mm-hmm. not the answer. As oh. much as it was the answer for me, uh, being an entrepreneur uh, is a curse. It's not a, uh, you know, it's something that I am, right? It's it's something that I uh, have gone into because it's in my DNA. Um, it's not for everybody. And for most people, um, you know, there there is this opportunity, as you kind of alluded to, to take that money and, you know, go directly from a, uh, you know, a W quadrant or a S quadrant is Robert Kiyosaki would say self-employed or wage earners or whatever, and then take that money and really build up the investment quadrant. And I mm-hmm. think that what I admire about what you have done is exactly that, right? If I was not an entrepreneur if I did not have this desire or curse to go in that direction and put my family at risk all the time, <laughs> I would have stayed in medicine and the the solution would have been to do exactly what you're doing. So what are you doing now? <laughs> well, you know, to that, to that point, I think a lot of people, you know, to your situation would make excuses, right? I can't because I'm not that person. And, you know, um, for me, um, my why became big. And once the why becomes big, the how will really reveal itself. And so I, my why was, okay, I'm going to figure this thing out. And then the how has been a plinko board of, of discoveries, um, as I've, as I've gone through it. So basically what I do now is, um, my, my approach, I guess, to, to, you know, setting up my, 
um, portfolio in simplest terms is it's, it's a teeter totter. And on one side of my portfolio is a very, is, is asymmetrically risk adjusted, fairly illiquid cash flowing tax efficient, uh, investments. Okay. So higher, I'm expecting a higher rate of return. I'm expecting a more predictable return. I'm expecting tax advantages. I'm willing to um, give up liquidity to obtain those. And on the other side of the teeter totter would be very liquid, very safe, um, um, basically cash in, in various mm-hmm. forms that serve as an opportunity fund to take advantage of some of those opportunities when they come up on the other side of the teeter totter, as well as to literally insure against life. Life is going to deal you stuff that you're, um, that, you know, you weren't expecting. And if you have, if there's a problem that can be solved by money, you don't have a problem. So if you have a cash reserve to handle those kind of things, you know, it's, it's a huge, um, stress relief. And so that's basically what I, the teeter totters are, it's not balanced uh, by numbers. It's balanced by, um, how effective each component of those portfolio um, is is doing. So for me, it's very similar. As you know, um, for me, when you talk about the teeter-totter in the one side, uh, it is, um, you know, it, for the most part, it's real estate, right? Equities, people talk about stocks and they use equities and mine is equity and real estate. So that's all my equities, all my real estate. Uh, on the other side, as you mentioned, there is some level of liquidity. And for me, you know, I'll use the wealth formula banking type stuff. So, and then I'll have like a small percent, 10%, five to 10% where it's completely like I could lose all this money or I could 10 X it, you know, Mm -hmm. like cryptocurrency or something like that. Um, what, uh, what do you use specifically? Are your, is your equity primarily real estate equity? Is it passive? Is it active? You know, do you, you know, do you have a, a philosophy on that? Uh, yeah. Um, so it's primarily real estate as well. Um, but I, um, I, I like to have a mix of active and passive. So th- there's a lot of benefits to passive real estate investing, right? I mean, you can hitch a ride with great operators who that's their game. They have access to deals that you're never going to get. They have management systems in place that there's no way that you're going to have the time to, to implement yourself. Um, and, uh, but what you do give up in that environment is control. Okay. So they may decide that they're going to dispose of an asset at a time. That's not, it's not timely for you personally. That's mm-hmm. sorry. That's, right. that's the way it goes. I like to mix that with some active, actively controlled real estate um, investments so that if I did want to sell or dispose of one of those ads or, or I did want to do something to it, I could. And um, so th- those are sort of the two components of the, you know, illiquid side. I do like to balance that. I know not everybody does and not everybody has to. Right. Um, but that is, um, that, that's kind of how I approach it. I, I have the approach that um, like all investments have pros and cons. They, they have their strengths, they have their weaknesses. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a board game of creativity and strategy to, to match the investments pros and cons to what you're trying to achieve within your own life. And, um, and so that, that's what I do repeat, repeatedly. And, yeah. um, what's on the, what's on the liquid side? Is it just cash or do you use, you know, the insurance products like, you know, wealth formula banking type products, or do you, are you a cash person? Or are you bonds person? How, what do you use 
personally on that liquidity side? Yeah, I use both. Um, I use both cash um, money market and I use um, high cash value life insurance. So, you know, I think it's too simplistic to say that it's just a teeter totter and it's just these things go in isolation It's actually a flow. And so I try also to have each dollar perform more than one task. Right. So if you were to take, you know, if you were to follow that dollar through, um, you might put it into, in this analogy, you would put it into a high cash value whole life. Okay. And so the additional benefit, you would get some death benefit, you would get um, some asset protection, some anonymity, you would get some compounded tax-free growth in that. Now you can borrow that out and redeploy it into the other side on the real estate where you're going to get tax advantage. You're going to get some leverage. You're going to get some, um, you know, some um, insider trading, if you will, in, in the in the expertise of the operator. And then there's going to be a value add component perhaps to that project where you're going to get that dollar back in a tax advantage mm-hmm. way to be redeployed. And so now that dollar has just come through the system and, and flowed through and it's not linear in its benefit. It's exponential in its benefit. You keep repeating that cycle right. and good Vel- things happen. Velocity, uh, you know, you've got, you've got mass velocity and leverage, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How much might is, sl- I might be slow. Uh, <laughs> how, how, how much does tax efficiency affect your investment uh, thinking now compared to before? Uh, oh, it's it's night and day. Actually, right. that's that's first and foremost. That's I mean, one of the uh, things that I think is is a, a huge game changer for people like to understand is that pretty much when most people invest in stocks and bonds or whatever, it's all after tax income. It's not going to affect what you are going to pay in taxes, but the way Ian invests, and the way I invest, obviously, it's not only going to create equity and create returns, but it's actually going to reduce our tax um, obligation for the year in which we invest it. Mm-hmm. That is a huge, huge deal. I mean, anybody who starts talking about compounding and fees and all this other you know, stuff they talk about in, in that stocks and bonds world, they completely... Like, I mean, do they have any idea what they're missing out on? This is crazy, right? Yeah. Crazy. No, it, it's, um, if you look at your, um, the, the, uh, on your, on your personal budget, what is the, um, your highest expense? It's going to be, generally it's going to be taxes unless you've addressed it already. And, um, and if you could come up with a way to take that off of your, um, liability side on your, on your, on your balance sheet or, or the law side, and you could deploy it into something that's going to be an asset and it's going to generate revenue for you. It's going to put money in your pocket later on. You can't compound any faster. You can't really. It's crazy. So, and, and one of the nice things for Ian is that he's passed that there is a point of initial pain where like, okay, you don't have a lot of investments. You don't have a lot of gains to offset those losses because if you're, unless you're a real estate professional, uh, you can't do that. Well, Ian passed that, right? So he's got returns coming in that typically are just going to be, you know, tax, uh, tax-free. So that's mm-hmm. huge, uh, but mm-hmm. it takes some time. Okay. Next question. Do you have a retirement account? Why or why not? I do. Um, and it's through our, it's through our practice. Um, and it, it's not ideal. Uh, it's not my preference, but Giving, given my personal circumstances, it still is the best play initially. Um, I have done another one of my deep dives and I've figured out some ways to um, 
put money away in a pre-tax way and then, and then have it be processed Mm -hmm. around so that it will not be taxed at the same rate that it will be, um, that it would have been through, through, uh, through some of the whole life or through the, some of the insurance. Uh, Um, that's one way. So I, I, you know, there's, there's probably four or five different ways. Um, I'm still Mm -hmm. sort of, um, uh, analyzing those, but, but, it can be done. Let's put it that way. So, yeah. um, it, it's a way to arbitrage the, right. that, that money. Yeah. Next question. Uh, people talk about college funds, uh, for kids. You've got kids, mm-hmm. you doing these five twenty nines and all that mumbo jumbo or, or are you doing uh, something else? I Why? used to, I don't anymore. Um, I used to back in the sort of like, uh, days where I was just mindlessly plowing things out that five twenty nine. that's what you're supposed to do. I did that. Um, and I don't anymore. I took a look at them. They're, um, they're generally fee laden. They're very restrictive. Um, and you know, the benefit that you gain, um, at least from my perspective, doesn't, um, doesn't offset the, the gives that you have to do, the, the restrictions that you have to uh, endure, um, to have those. So I have stopped funding them I, on my project task list is to, is to see how I can unwind those in, in an efficient way. So yeah. That, that in itself is somewhat of a challenge. I think just because mm-hmm. like 529s are really like they have to be used for education. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. that's basically it. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of disadvantages of 529s. Um, that, you know, we've talked about, uh, many times in wealth formula network, Um, but uh, we won't go into that anymore. Um, what about, um, you know, just some other basic stuff for people who are in their situation, uh, your situation, basic advice in terms of what you've done, not advice, but you know, what have you done for asset protection? Um, asset protection, um, you know, you, if you, if you align yourself with the mantra of own nothing, control everything, um, you'll, you'll do fine. Um, and so that means that getting your personal name off of, of, you know, your, your, your assets, um, place them in trusts, put them in entities, use, you know, consider insurance products, um, you know, start businesses, that kind of thing. You, you need to get like, depending on your specialty, um, at least for the professionals, um, you, you may be at risk for, um, you know, a suit, it might be frivolous, whatever, but what, what you want to do is, is make sure that you at least, um, are cognizant of that and, and take action to sort of mitigate that. And so if you get things out of your, out of your name, but yet maintain control, um, through various vehicles, uh, that's generally good advice. Estate planning. Yeah. You gotta have a, you gotta have a will and a <laughs> living trust. Okay. Will living trust. <laughs> Did Minimum. I pound the table uh, enough Minimum. on that? But you'd be yeah. amazed at, at how, how many people I talk to that they've not gotten that little bit of advice and the amount of danger your family is in, if you don't do that is, is incredible. So, well, people, people have their their head in the sand. I mean, um, for better, for worse, like they, 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 um, you know, um, a lot of professionals have large egos because they've, they've earned the right to be a specialist in their, in their field, right? They, mm-hmm. they are the one and only person that knows the most about Bert Hogg Dubay syndrome, right? But they, mm-hmm. they, they know in their heart that they are out of their league in some areas of personal finance. 
you have two options, stick your head in the sand and just kind of ignore it. And then that doesn't apply to me or cede control to somebody else who's supposedly looking after things, or you actually just like, you know, set your ego aside and realize that you need to take ownership of, of these activities and, and that, you know, eventually, um, everyone sits down to a banquet of consequences. I mean, like you, you know, your actions or non-actions result in your situation. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think Ben Hardy, um, who's an author who's on here before, I think one of his quotes is effectively like change is in- inevitable, right? Change is going to happen. Now, whether or not you grow is not inevitable. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, so, you yeah. know, the change is going to happen whether you like it or not. I think it's yeah. a great quote in that regard. Yeah. Um, yeah. You are, you know, obviously a big believer in um, personal growth, abundance mentality. You're part of multiple groups. You're part of uh, uh, Wealth Formula Network uh, and all this. Uh, what, what do you learn from these kinds of things? Um, I... I, I feel it's as I've gone through this process and this journey, like I am more and more aligned with, uh, you know, the Jim Rohn quote that you are the, the average of the five people you surround yourself with. So I have made it a point to um, surround myself with people who are, you know, a half level to a level above in whatever area that I'm, you know, um, interested in, in growing into, um, you know, so I'm a, I'm a long course triathlete. I've done a bunch of Ironmans and a bunch of marathons and so forth for a long time I did a deep dive into triathlon and I aligned myself with people who had been there, done that, um, could, could help me in that, um, you know, learn aerodynamics on the bike and learn power and so forth. I did the same thing here with, um, with, with tax advisors. I did the same thing here with, with, um, finding people who are of similar mindset in a similar profession. And, you know, the, 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 problems and the challenges that we face have commonalities and maybe we can help each other. Um, and then I also sort of align myself with sort of the hero's journey where, you know, you're at one point you're an apprentice and a knight is sort of helping you. And, and, that, and, and at some point you are faced with becoming the knight and going out and slaying the dragon. Mm-hmm. And that process in itself will, will give you experiences that you can know you could never predict. And, you know, you're going to slay that dragon. And then eventually you're going to come back to, you know, the, the town and you're going to tell everybody how you did it and you're yeah. going to lend a hand down and, and help somebody else. So and that's exactly what you're doing right now, my friend. <laughs> you have completed the hero's journey. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm completed. Like, yeah. Well, we're I, always, I listen, we're always, we are always, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, I always, I, every year, two or three times of the year, I learn something, um, in personal finance that, or, you know, some sort of strategy or whatever that absolutely blows my mind. Or I just think of something a different way and I'm like, damn, what was I thinking? Right. So it's a constant learning process, but, but I think it's been fun, uh, you know, having people like you, uh, to, to roll things off in wealth formula network and, um, you know, have that sort of camaraderie, but, uh, want to thank you, Ian. Uh, this is, I know you were, uh, saying that you're not, you're, you know, you're not, you, you told me you were not a polished podcast guest, but I think this is a really useful, um, you know, discussion and, you know, you're talking about real world stuff. You're talking about everybody's stories that who are listening to this show. So I want to thank you for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. No, thanks for, thanks for the invitation and thanks for all that you do and keep on keeping on my friend. You got it. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed the discussion. Ian is a great guy. And listen, for all of you high-paid professionals out there, Ian is living proof that you have no excuses. No excuses. This is a doctor. He's a full-time. He's not like out there, like, you know, as an entrepreneur and, and doing all this other stuff. He has created an entire, you know, essentially a business out of his investments. He's gone straight to the I quadrant. This guy is on fire and he's doing... You know, nothing different than the things that we literally talk about on this show every week, inside and out, um, things that we talk about in an investor club, et cetera. Now, if you want to make it happen and become truly sophisticated as an investor like Ian, you have to put in time and surround yourself with others of like mind. And certainly one way that you can potentially do that is by going, uh, joining Wealth Formula Network. Go to wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, there is a course that course is followed with the community. Now, I have to tell you, when you go to wealthformularoadmap.com, it is a kind of a, you know, the, the uh, when I put this course together, some guy, you know, some guy to me is, well, you know, you got to have some sales marketing piece there. So I hired some guy who was supposed to be really good at these things and webinars. And he wrote this, you know, script and stuff and made this. And it's kind of cheesy. I don't like it. So, but I, uh, I paid him a lot of money, so I never took it down. But in reality, here's the deal. The course is really good for people who need the basics. It's got a lot of smart people on it. We talk about, you know, real estate. We talk about asset protection, estate planning, all these things that you got to have. You, you've got some really famous people on there like Ken McElroy and, and um, you know, Tom Wheelwright and those guys. Um, but the real magic is once you get those foundational things in place and you can really participate in these conversations and on our, in our Facebook group at Wealth Formula Network. So anyway, check it out, wealthformularoadmap.com. And that's it for me this week. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.